Welcome to episode 13 of the Leadership in Context podcast with Keith Tusi. Today, Keith continues a series of conversations about being missional. He gives practical application to the concepts he's been sharing about the past two weeks. Welcome to Leadership in Context, a conversation on leadership in the context of the local church. Keith Chusey is the apostolic team leader of the Network of Related Pastors. He loves the church and its leaders. You will be empowered and equipped to walk in fruitful ministry as you listen to Keith put leadership truths in the context of the local church. For show notes, email podcast at inourpastors.com. And now here's Keith Chusey. I trust you uh, are working on that last podcast where you talked about the five C's. Today I want to talk to you about some elements of building a strong missions movement in your church and using those five C's, the cause, the cure, the curriculum, the culmination, and the commission to help you uh, accomplish that. I want to talk to you today about just developing some mission policy. And don't let that word policy, you know, say, oh, that's not a spiritual thing. Use the word guidelines. Use the word, how about mission focus? That would maybe be a good term to use here. Uh, If we don't want to have a church full of self-centered people, one of the best ways to accomplish that is have a culture of missions in our church, where in people's emotional, mental, and spiritual equilibrium, they are always thinking in the context of church life, about other people and not just themselves, okay? So let's just start at the basics on building a a strong missions movement in your church. When I say a strong missions movement, I mean a church that's going to pray, a church that's going to go, and a church that's going to give, and a church that's going to share. That's what I'm talking about, where our lives are not just caught up in ourselves constantly. If we want people to be different, we're going to have to lead them out of where they are, not just suggest a different route that they can take themselves. So let's reiterate the great need. Let's tell the human story. Let's tell the human drama that is going on in people's lives. One of the first things about teaching people is graciously assume that they do not know what you know without speaking down to them. And a lot of times we think people are aware of the need in missions, and most times they're not. And I would say this, the more you can focus not just on the great need, there's you know 50 million people here who aren't reached, but when you can focus it in on a group of people, a couple families, a local church, that slugging out in the trenches on the mission field, put a face to it, I think that's what people relate to. Sometimes we can actually overwhelm people, I think, with how great the cause is uh, when we're not implementing how the cure really can be coming from then. And obviously, when when we're reiterating and articulating the need in missions, We've got to focus it back to how can we make a difference. Uh, And 
make it clear that we really can make a difference. Have stories about how people have made a difference. Have testimonies about how people have made a difference. Now, if you're just in a hurry and you just want to get through Mission Sunday, then you don't have to do these things. But if you want to build a mission culture, then these are the type of things you're going to have to slow yourself down. You're going to have to get some videos. You're going to have to Skype some people in. You're going to have to have some fresh data. You may have to buy an airplane ticket and bring somebody in to talk about it firsthand. But that's a building mentality, and that's what we have to have. So let's talk about, after we've laid that foundation, having a policy guideline and communicating that to people in specific ways on how you make missions decisions. I think a lot of times in local church settings, missions decisions are too subjective or they're left to our subjectivity. But I think the more we train people on, hey, there's a pattern, here's what we're doing, here's the litmus test on why we're doing things, then I think it adds a lot of credibility. It will also help you ferret out the the request that may be decent requests, but they don't fit your paradigm of what you're trying to do. And of course, one of the other things is when you have a missions church is there are people in your congregation that want you to support this or that. But when you have a mission policy or guideline, you can simply communicate that. You can hand them that, and then that may solve some of your problem there on making those decisions. Uh, Without a policy, without a guideline, without a focus, you really can't delegate or train others to get on your thinking pattern and where you want to go. So a guideline is really the key to having some kind of a process Now, what kind of items should be in a mission policy? Well, let's just start here. The type of missions that you want to support. Now, our number one guideline, always as a pastor for me, was that whatever missions we supported, whether it was orphanages or was pro-life, whether it was evangelism, whether it was feeding the hungry, whether it was drilling wells, whatever missions we supported, I wanted it to be connected to a local church. I wanted to be able to say that this local church is leading this ministry or this local church is being impacted by this ministry. So we had a local church-concentric mission philosophy and guideline. Now, I realize there's a lot of parachurch organizations out there, and I think there are basically two kinds of parachurch organizations. Number one, there are parachurch organizations that have organized separately, they've organized different legally, but they're still really under the covering and leadership of a local church, local pastors, or a group of apostolic people. Then there are other parachurch organizations that are just simply standalone, independent organizations. I would work with the first group. I didn't so much want to work with the second group because of that local church tie. Okay, And we were just unashamed about it. We, Our philosophy was God's building the local church, and so that's where we want to put our resources. We didn't put other people down for what they did. We just said with our limited uh, resources and wanting to make the best impact, we're going to get as close to that local church precept as we possibly can. Number two, were we theologically in tune? Were we on the same page? 
you know, were these people that believed in a victorious worldview, that believed in a victorious church? Were they people that believed in the power of the Holy Spirit? Were they people that believed in the local church? Were they sent from a local church? Were they part of a local church? Uh, those are things that were very critical to us. Number three was, if money was going to be the only common denominator, we tended to shy away from it. And that didn't mean that there weren't times where there was a project or maybe even a crisis that we didn't, you know, throw some money into the ring, so to speak. But really, we tried to look at the big picture. Uh, you know, were we going to be in some type of a relational context? Uh, or was there going to be some give and take? You know, there's a lot of people that we gave mission support to that were great blessings to us. Their ministries were great. They fed our local church. They inspired us. They did things that we wanted to do. They were able to teach us. They were able to equip us. We were able to partner with them to do other things. So these are the type of things that we looked at. Uh, these are good questions. You don't always know the answer to some of these things on the front end, but you know, a year into supporting somebody or something, that may be something that you've learned and you decide that that support was for a season, it was for a reason, but it's not something that we're going to continue. Uh, number three or four, however you want to say it, is do we have any type of functional relationship with them? Are we involved in, in helping them? Are they involved in helping us? Are we involved together in helping a third party? Uh, uh, could we double team with them, so to speak, to do something else? Again, that's taking that mission that you're helping and helping it to be missional, not just to be on the receiving end. And quite frankly, that's one of the problems we have in missions. A lot of people have what I call missionaryitis. They think it's all, it's just all about them. And I want to support them. I want to help them, but I want them to be thinking about doing the same thing for somebody else. Uh, number five is, uh, are they under authority? Is there a government structure in their ministry? Uh, just because we give to them doesn't mean we have to be uh, part of that authority structure, but I'd like to know who that authority structure is. If I had a problem or a concern, if I had a, a donor that came to me or a businessman that wanted to help them in some significant way and asked me that question, I should be able to tell them right away who that mission or that ministry is uh, accountable to. Uh, number six, uh is there financial accountability? And financial accountability for a missionary should be no, no different from a local church. They should, keep, they should keep good records, and they should communicate with their supporters on a regular basis, okay? Uh, is there financial accountability? And specifically with any earmarked funds that you're giving. Now, this stuff might sound boring and sound like only the things you're going to deal with in an elders meeting, but as you begin to cast vision, let's say you have a mission Sunday and uh, you're going to use this to raise pledges for the year, or you're going to do a series of teachings on missions and why it's important. I would spend a few minutes teaching them. That's kind of that curriculum thing I talked about last week where you're teaching them on this infrastructure that you have. And what that does is that just gives you more credibility. That takes those question marks out of people's mind. Because don't kid yourself, when you're up there receiving a mission offering, there's people that are thinking, oh yeah, I wonder if it's like this other thing I heard about. Okay. But if they know you and they know your structure and they know you followed through and you've communicated these things, you're releasing them with a clear conscience to be as generous as they possibly can be. Okay. 
So, uh, and then one of the big things for us was always that person that's leading that mission. You know, what is their relationship with the people that sent them? Uh, and, and those type of things. Uh, c- clear, a clear line of that. Uh, are they sent? Are they connected? Okay. Uh, and of course, one of the big ones ultimately is, would you send somebody on a short-term trip to be with that person? Would you send somebody to be trained with that person? And I can tell you over the years, one of the things that really helped the mission flow, the mission culture in our churches was when we sent people, them coming back with a rave review, having a great personal experience because the leadership there was prepared for them. They put them to work. It wasn't a missionary tour but they put him to work and made them work for the kingdom and they came back back exhausted and excited and that just stirred the church to a whole another level i think it's time we get a little more detailed in our mission philosophy taking the time to explain what we're doing and why we're doing it and these guidelines i shared with you today are some of the things you need to think about And make sure that you're communicating them, that people uh, are not just expected to kind of figure this out. I promise that if you do this, when you start receiving regular mission offerings, which you should be doing in some way, shape, or form, I believe, make it obvious, make it stick out, make it intentional, make it purposeful, give people an opportunity to give. Uh, One of the signs I look for in a missional church is are they clear, are they excited, and are they not ashamed to receive special offerings? Because a healthy church should be generating about 20 to even 25% of their tithes. In other words, if they had a, uh, you know, a budget of a million dollars, their extra giving should be probably 200 to $250,000, a quarter, 20 to 25% for extra projects, extra giving, and those type of things. Without a lot of strain, without a lot of fuss, because you're giving people opportunities. Uh, our next time together, I'm going to talk about mission pawns, P-O-N-D-S, and how that affects your people, how it affects their giving, how it affects their connection to certain missions and ministries that you're doing and how you can keep them connected long-term to some of these critical missions. Hope this has been helpful. Thanks for spending some time with me in Leadership in Context. Have a great week. Today, Keith continued a conversation about being missional. If we want people to be different, we are going to have to lead them out of where they are, not just suggest a different route that they can take themselves. Today, Keith showed that by using an example of developing a missions culture. This is done through communicating and reiterating the need, sharing the human side of missions, showing the difference that can be made, and communicating your missions policy. Thanks for listening this week to another episode of Leadership in Context with Keith Tusi. Join us next week as Keith continues to put leadership truths in the context of the local church. As always, subscribe, like, rate, and share our podcast. For show notes or to ask Keith a question, email podcast at innerpastors.com. If you would like more information, check out our website, innerpastors.com. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at innerpastors. See you next week.